how do you identify a good minister? They come in all shapes and sizes. Some serve large churches, some small churches. Some have long ministries, others short ministries. Some have numerous degrees after their names, and others have never been to seminary. Some are polished professionals, and others are just good old boys. Some sound like scholars, others like storytellers, and even comedians. Some are on TV and write books. Others aren't known outside the church in which they serve. So how do you know a good minister when you see one or hear one? Even if he seems to be saying the right things, how do you know if he really believes what he says? You know, Paul has just warned us about hypocritical liars with seared consciences, so things may not always be as they seem. So how do you identify a good minister, and even more importantly, how do I make sure that I am one? Well, Paul has already told us what to look for in elders, in overseers of the church. And he has outlined the character qualifications of those who would serve as deacons in the church. He now speaks directly to Timothy and tells him how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, the word he uses is the same one we translate deacon, but it can also be translated minister. And in this context, minister seems to be better. In fact, that's how the NIV translates it. Now, Timothy wasn't to stay in Ephesus and serve there as a deacon. He was told to stay there to instruct and teach, to fulfill the role that we usually identify with that of a minister. And in our text for today, Paul tells Timothy how to be a good minister. He begins by pointing out that a good minister teaches with gentleness. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, what things are Timothy to be pointing out to the brethren? Well, obviously what Paul has written in this letter. And he was probably thinking in particular about what he had just said. He had just told Timothy that the Spirit has explicitly said some will fall away from the truth, seduced by liars who have become conduits for deceitful spirits and teach doctrines of demons. Now, this is serious stuff. And you would expect Paul to tell Timothy to preach it as forcefully as possible. Now, if there's ever a time to preach hellfire and brimstone, you would think it would be when addressing the doctrines of demons and hypocritical liars. But Paul merely tells Timothy to be pointing out these things. Now, the verb that he uses is what one commentator referred to as a gentle verb. It means simply to point out, to lay before, or merely present. It has a, a suggestive tone about it. 
It doesn't at all carry with it the idea of ordering or commanding. Now, in verse 11, Paul will tell Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. And the word prescribed is translated command by the NIV. So Paul is not saying that a minister should merely make suggestions while preaching. There are times when the truth must be declared forcefully and absolutes proclaimed. There are times when commands from God's word must be delivered to the saints. But a spirit of gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit, you'll recall, should be readily seen in a minister's demeanor and should pervade his preaching. It's not the preacher's job to condemn anyone. He must point out sin and error and the deception of the enemy, but it's not the preacher's place to condemn those who have been deceived or who have been caught up in sin. A preacher can't even bring someone to conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth being taught and the error being exposed can be used by the Spirit to open a heart and a mind, but the conviction of sin comes from the Holy Spirit. So it's not the preacher's job to push buttons and emotionally manipulate people to get them to respond to the message he's delivering. He's merely the spokesman delivering the message, pointing out truth, and exposing error as best he can. If he'll do that, he's on the road to being a good minister. Now, obviously, if he's going to point out the truth and expose error, he has to know the truth and be able to discern error. So a good minister is one that feeds on the word. Paul continues to Timothy. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. You know, there are religious retreats, seminars, conventions, workshops, and symposiums offered for preachers all the time. There are new degree programs offered both on campus and off campus by colleges and seminaries. Books and professional publications abound, and illustrations, outlines, and even sermons can be found all over the internet. Whole libraries of research material can be held in the palm of a preacher's hand. There's no lack of material or resources available for ministers. But most ministers still face two critical issues when trying to prepare to be good preachers. The first is not having enough time to prepare to preach. You know, the demands of ministry can easily push preaching onto the back burner, but that must never be allowed to happen. And I'm very grateful that you've not forced me into that in my ministry here. You know, if the preacher is nothing more than a religious social worker who parrots pious platitudes on Sunday, he may still be a good servant of Christ Jesus in the broad sense of the word, but he won't be a good minister in the specific role of teacher, instructor, and preacher. 
takes time to prepare messages that will feed the flock, and study must therefore be a top priority in the life of a minister. But what should he study? That is the second issue. A preacher can be overwhelmed trying to stay abreast the latest trends and techniques and theological wranglings. There's no way he can read everything that's being published or attend every gathering that's planned for his benefit. So where should he go to have his soul nourished and mind stretched? The answer should be obvious, the Word of God, the Word of God. A good minister is one who is constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine that he's built his life and ministry upon. A good minister will be in the Word. He will read it. He will meditate upon it. He will study it. He will pray for the Spirit's enlightenment on it. He will use the tools gained in his education to continually plumb the depths of the revealed mind and will of God. And he'll do so for personal spiritual nourishment as well as sermon preparation. He will also stay grounded in the sound doctrine that was passed on to him by those who studied the word before him. He will not be on a quest for something new, something different, something that will tickle the ears of his listeners or his generation. So a good minister is one who avoids worldly myths. Now, this is a little awkward to read, but Paul wrote it but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Marilyn was working on the outline. She goes, ooh, what are you writing? I said, I didn't write it. The NIV translates this as have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. That sounds a little better. You know, a few ministers would think of themselves as purveyors of godless myths. Only those who get their theology from the History Channel would teach Greek mythology, Babylonian legends, and alien invasions as the source of truth. And not many would promote Native American spirituality or Eastern mysticism, even though both are very popular in our culture. But it is easy to get caught up in end times speculation and what I've recently discovered a great phrase for heaven tourism experiences. And there are a lot of people ready to listen to anyone who buys into popular thoughts about angels and ghosts and even zombies. I double-checked that one. There actually is zombie theology out there. <laughs> now, when Paul speaks of fables fit only for women, I don't believe he's trying to put down women or asserting they are the only ones who can be deceived. I think he's simply noting that there are a lot of feel-good fables out there that sensitive older women seem ready to embrace 
and share. Things like, if you're good, nothing bad will happen to you. And if you'll just ask in faith, God will give you everything you need and want. Or, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. These things do find their way into pulpits. From a health and wealth gospel and a non-judgmental pluralism that is very popular today. But a good minister will have nothing to do with popular religious thinking that isn't grounded in the Word of God. And he certainly won't preach it, even if there are masses ready to embrace it. He'll avoid the temptation to hone a popular image to be well-liked, but he will train in godliness. Let's read on. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in good physical shape. A Christian's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so it's imperative that we take good care of our bodies. To ignore legitimate physical needs, to harm ourselves through the misuse of the good things God has given to us, or to intentionally abuse the temple of God is to sin against our Creator and the one we invited to indwell us. And physical exercise is important, especially in our day and age. We live during a time when most of us are able to exist without much physical effort. So our bodies do need some form of exercise to remain in good condition. After I got out of falconry and was no longer outside walking in fields on a regular basis, I realized I needed to do something. I had gotten to the place where I couldn't even walk around in a store for any length of time, especially while shopping with Maryland for clothes, uh, without needing to find a place to sit down. <laughs> you know, making it to the Fit Club three times a week is now a priority for me. Now, I'm obviously not obsessed with sculpting my body, but I do want to keep it functional. I want it to work. You know, there are still miles I'd like to be able to ride, fish I'd like to catch, things I'd like to do with family, especially my grandkids, and sermons I'd like to preach. But I do realize that Paul is right. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. Physical exercise will only produce temporary benefits. Most of us will still grow old, and all of us will die. That's why being spiritually fit is even more important than being physically fit. And that's why Paul said we must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, because godliness holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. But what does it mean to discipline yourself 
for the purpose of godliness. Well, I think it means to put time and effort into becoming like Jesus. Now, godliness is God-likeness. And it's not easy to be like God, even when His Spirit does live within us. Now, without His presence in our lives, it's impossible to be like Him. We can never become good enough on our own to be godly. But even with His help, it takes effort on our part to become like Him. A good minister must therefore study God's Word, not only to have something to say on Sunday, but to know what God is like so he can be like him. To know how Jesus, God in the flesh, responded to those around him and to situations of life. He needs to stay in prayer so he can keep in check the demands and distractions of life that make it hard to sense and obey God's leading. He needs to work at putting his faith into practice, finding ways to minister to others and to lead them to minister to others as well. He must conscientiously control the desires of the flesh, crucifying self daily so the Spirit can produce fruit in his life, the fruit of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It takes effort to be like God. It takes discipline to be a disciple of Christ. And all ministers need spiritual discipline. But just as a personal trainer tailors a program of exercise for the individual, I believe the Holy Spirit leads us into a program best fit for our needs and our personality type. You know, they all include the basic exercises of Bible study, prayer, worship, and service. But some programs are more structured than others. You know, some might find a rigidly structured program with set times for prayer and study to be the most helpful. Others may find a more flexible and varied program more effective, but however he goes about it, a good minister will conscientiously discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. And lastly, a good minister strives for the goal is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, there's no way to know for sure whether the trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance is what Paul said before verse 9 or after it. Commentators are divided on it. But it really doesn't make any difference. The godliness that is profitable for all things in this life and the life to come is that for which a good minister labors and strives. Now, some ministers are more goal-oriented than others. 
Some have specific measurable numeric goals for everything. Others do not. It should come as no surprise to most of you that I'm in that second category. But every minister should have the goal of godliness for himself and for the church in which he serves. Our hope is fixed on the living God, and the goal of our life is to be like him in every respect. Now, he is potentially the Savior of all men. The offer of salvation is given to all, but only those who believe him, who embrace him, are changed into his likeness, have the promise of a relationship with him in the present life and in the life to come. Ministers cannot get sidetracked from the goal of godliness for themselves or for those among whom they minister. A good minister keeps his eyes on the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, which is the calling to godliness. There we have it. A good minister teaches with gentleness, feeds on the word, avoids worldly myths, trains in godliness, and strives for the goal. Now you know how to identify one, and I know how to be one. But let's not leave it there. Let's go back to the word we translated minister and translate it servant, as does the New American Standard, which we all know is the most accurate translation of all. And if we leave it servant, it's easy to see this doesn't just apply to me. It applies to you as well. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus if you teach with gentleness, feed on the word, avoid worldly myths, Train in godliness and strive for the goal. Make godliness the goal of your life. Don't be charmed by the world's delights. Let things that are higher, things that are nobler, allure your sight. Hasten to him and hasten to be like him. If you've not done so, let that desire be made known as we stand and sing.